Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Thriving, Part 1, Not Going Back. Recorded Sunday, June 6, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. You know, freedom is a powerful concept. We talk about it all the time. Everybody talks about freedom. And the thing about freedom is it's really not dependent upon circumstances, even though we think it is. Freedom is not circumstantial. It's really not even conditional. Rather, it's positional. When you're free, you're free. End of story. And you thrive. Now, Jesus came to free you from the tyranny of the world. That was his purpose. When you entered into new life with Jesus, it was to free you, to give you a life of thriving in his power. And so my my encouragement to you today is don't go back. Don't go back. Now, there's a man named Paul. He's a first century apostle, we call them. He wrote a book called Galatians. He lived and died to proclaim freedom. He reminded Christians in Asia, Asia, you are called to be free. And then he had to remind them about that because they forgot. They were being lied to. These Christians, these new believers were being lied to from a world that said, come back, it's better here. What you left is better. They were even lied to by religious people who were saying to them, you don't have the whole story. Let's let's add some things to it. We're entering this new series of teachings from the New Testament called, uh, the book called Galatians, and and we're going to focus on chapter 5, as Dan said. But over the series, we're going to really be in the entire scriptures at some point or another, especially in the New Testament. If you are new to Christianity or just trying to check out the church, here's what I would say to you. Come to to prepare to find life in ways you've never had it before. Because there's a Holy Spirit that wants to indwell in you. And and I know that sounds confusing, but it's a truth that we're going to talk about through the course of this series. Now, if you've been in Christianity for a while, my prayer is that you will remember what you left enough to be reminded why you need to be where you are. And some of you maybe have forgotten. So this will be a reminder that God's creating you for something different. To be thriving, to have his Holy Spirit living in you for a purpose. The way you treat other people, the way you feel about yourself, uh, the, the way that you present yourself to a world that really is desperate for freedom. The Holy Spirit of God will help you to accomplish that if you will cooperate with God. Now, we're going to be reading this six-page letter uh, through, uh, to Christians in South, written to Christians in Southwest Asia in the first century. We're going to be reading parts of it, but we're going to focus on Galatians 5, and we're also going to look at the book of Acts at times. And so to understand this man named Paul who wrote this book, 
we need to really also read Acts chapters 13 through 15. Of course, we're not doing that this morning, but I would encourage you to do that during this week. Acts chapter, chapters 13 through 15, and then Galatians, the whole book. Six, don't look, six pages. Six pages. That's all it is. It wouldn't take you very long. Today, let me give you some background to the apostle to the Gentiles, this man named Paul. Now, friends, this man in his day was a seminary lawyer. Doesn't that sound fun? A seminary lawyer. Now, I have a lot of respect for people who go to seminaries and who actually graduate from them. Uh, I, think, I think they're cool people because they know the deepest things about Scripture usually, and they're really in tune with religion usually. One of my favorite theologians, who I, I, I listen to his podcast weekly, his name is N.T. Wright, and he's an Anglican priest who actually is a real solid, I think, theologian. He has an un, a, uncanny ability to break down scripture in a way I understand it, so that's good. I like theologians like A.W. Tozier and C.S. Lewis. There's a lot of others. But anyway, I, I like what they say because I think it makes sense. And then, so I have respect for them, and I have a lot of respect for lawyers, those who know the most intricate things about structure of human law and how it applies to human beings. And so, Good attorneys have been able to help me at times in my life. I'm not going to go into specifics, but they've been able to help me to figure out complicated matters so that I can somehow come through that to advise me and support me for only $375 an hour. They're really pretty cool people. So, and they're, yeah. But anyway, they got to make a living, okay? That's all I'm saying. So, well, in this day, Paul, or in his day, Paul then called Saul was a lawyer of theology, and a good one. The scripture says that he was renowned for his abilities. And his religion, before he became a Christian, had a real problem. They had a young rabbi that they had crucified on a cross who rose from the dead. And so the followers of Judaism, Paul's religion, were abandoning Christianity, or excuse me, Judaism, and going to Christianity, as soon as you can say, better call Saul. <laughs> and that's what they did. These religious, they said, Saul, we're going to let you loose. You're going to be our bulldog. Go destroy this church. Eradicate them from the face of the earth. So this Saul was sent to a place called Damascus to take out the group of believers there. And uh, Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus, threw him into the dirt, blinded his eyes, and put him on trial for persecuting his church. And he was wrecked. He was destroyed. Because he had lost everything he believed in. His zealous nature to want to protect his religion lay in the dust. And then Jesus offered him something his religion could not. It offered him grace. Here's what it says in Galatians 1.15. Paul wrote this about himself. But God who set me apart from my mother's womb to be, and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach Christ to the Gentiles. Blinded, wrecked, desperate. Saul was sent to Damascus to a safe house where he was cleaned up, 
He, his sight was restored. He was baptized into Christ Jesus. He began to walk in the freedom that his religion could never provide him. And Saul became Paul. That happened oftentimes when people had a life change. They had a change of name. He became the apostle to the Gentiles. And then over a 14-year period, he tirelessly took this message of Jesus to the Greek world, outside of Jerusalem, away from the Jewish nation, into the, in the world at large. And he, he and people like John Mark and, and Barnabas and Luke, the writer of the, of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and many others became the emissaries into the Gentile world to take Jesus to them, to transform their lives and their communities. Everywhere they went, they had great effect. Everywhere they went, they faced severe opposition. And it came from a lot of different sources. But you can probably boil it down to two primary sources. The first is religious traditionalists. And the second unbelievers who liked living as worldly pagans. And they put pressure on him and others. Now, Paul went into a, the region, region of Asia called Galatia, which today would be Turkey, if you understand geography. And he brought them this astonishing news of this resurrected rabbi who was crucified on a cross and brought to life and what he would do is he would go into the synagogues at first, if, they, if the city had a synagogue, because he was what? He was a, a lawyer of theology from the Jewish sect. And so he had, he had some rapport with those folks. He understood their, their ways. And so he'd go to the synagogues. He would, he would give them Jesus. He would explain to the Jews how God had fulfilled the promises he made in the Old Testament to bring their savior to them, and that savior is Jesus, and here's the proof of that. And, and so, like, for instance, it says in Acts chapter 13, 38, it, to a, he said this to a, a synagogue full of people in, in a city called Antioch. Therefore, friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through him. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin a justification that you were not able to obtain through the law of Moses. So he offered them something new, something better, something they'd never had before. And they were intrigued. This grace that frees people. Freedom from traditions that keep us bound in unnecessary rules of religion and that destroys the life in us. So it was intriguing. The next week they came back to hear more and they brought the whole city with them. That's what it says. And Gentiles, those outside of the covenant of the Jews, were especially open to this message from this man. In the message version it says in Acts 13, 48, when the non-Jewish outsiders, the Gentiles, heard this, they could hardly believe their good fortune. All who were marked out for real life put their trust in God. They honored God's word by receiving that life. And so this message of Paul and others spread like wildfire through Asia. And so it was on. 
the good news went not just from Jewish people who knew Jesus, but now into the whole world. The message of salvation, the good news centered on a raised Jesus, son of God, that transforms lives and brings freedom. And that's a beautiful thing. And so for 14 years, Paul and Barnabas and many others brought this joyful message. And for 14 years, Jews who hated the message opposed him. And so what they would do is they would sweep in after their work was done, and they would try to destroy everything they'd done. And they would stir up violence against them. And there were several occasions where Paul himself was accosted physically and at times almost killed. Some people think he did die once and he was raised from the dead. That's up for grabs, but that is what some people think. Some of those theologians who are smarter than I am think that. But it wasn't just Jewish people who were afraid of the message of Jesus. It was also Jews who were converted, but who still wanted to hold on to the rules and regulations of the law. And so they would do, what they'd do is they'd come in, and, and after the churches were established, they'd say, you know that Paul, that Barnabas, that John Mark, uh, Timothy, Titus, uh, Luke, they, they, got it, they got it started. Every, you know, they were right on the front end of stuff in terms of how they, but there's more. We need to give you more. And so they would say, you need to follow Jesus plus the Jewish traditions that Jesus believed in. And one of those rules, one of those things is something called circumcision. Now, if you've been around here for any length of time, you've probably heard me say this a few times. In this room, we sometimes talk about subjects that might confuse the little ones. So one of the beautiful things about our church is we have really great kids' ministries, and they happen during this hour. So we always encourage you when your children are ready to help them find their way to Kids City so that they can have age-appropriate experiences and so that when you're at lunch after this service, you don't have to explain things to them. That they probably, or you don't have to sit here now and put, say, put your earphones on. You don't need to hear this, you know? Because there are some things that we want to talk about because we're adults here. Now, Many of you, when you were an infant, you were circumcised. And you probably know what that means. Or many of you, parents, you said, I'm going to have my child circumcised when they're an infant. And no big deal. You might have done it for religious reasons. You may not. It doesn't matter. It's okay. I'm not judging that one way or another. But go back with me to the first century. You are in a teenager or you're an adult male. You're a Gentile. You've not been circumcised. I guarantee you that. This guy comes and he comes into your territory and he says, Jesus is for everyone. Just simply have faith in Christ. Be baptized into Christ. That's kind of the new circumcision, I guess. And it's for everyone, males, females, slave, free. We're all one in this freedom of Christ Jesus. And so it was really a beautiful thing. And people were brought to life from death to life. And, and, uh, and we have this opportunity to grow together. And they're like, I'm in. I need this. My life's wrecked. Sin's not working for me. The religions I have are not working for me. I need Jesus. So they did it. And, and so here's the message. The message is, this is what Jesus did for you. And so they would say, what do I do? And they, and they would say, well, it's really not about what you do. It's what he did. But here, here's the thing. Be baptized. Leave your life of sin. Be transformed from death to life. Here's a gift. He's going to... 
empower you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to come into your life for transformational purposes, to help you to live in this freedom that he's offering you. And so they did it. Whole communities, even regions, received this message with gladness, the scripture says. Churches were planted, freedom zones, where people could live out their faith. But in a short period of time, these strangers would show up at church and they would say, we're believers on the way too, but they failed to tell you some things. And there's like, you know, all these religious holidays we have that you need to follow. And this is the way we worship Jesus. And, and, and it has to do with all these legalistic laws that the Jewish religion had in place. And by the way, gentlemen, those of you who are old enough to know, let's just go over to this room to the side here and let's take care of that circumcision thing. Now, how do you think that went over? With these, look, dudes, come on. You're like, uh, I didn't sign up for that. Now, Paul, now gone from the Galatian area, from that region, and on going elsewhere, learned about what was happening, learned how they were being misled, and he wrote an angry letter called Galatians. And here's one of the things he said when he wrote that letter. He said, curse them. Double curse them. Eternally curse them for bringing you that message. That message that you have to do those things to be in God's grace. In chapter 3, he calls those who have fallen under their religious spell fools. He said, what are you doing? Why are you going back to that which you ran from? I mean, we put all this blood, sweat, tears, and even, you know, everything into this gospel we brought you. And, and then in this angry letter, he said, you have fallen back into the very trap that you left. And so he was very agitated. Why would you go back to those worthless religious rituals? He tells them, it's okay to be zealous to do good but not to be religious and not to serve your own flesh, not to go back to the sin that you left. And in anger, he even says this about those who place unnecessary religious traditions on people. He says, the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever he may be, will have to pay the penalty. And then he says this, as for those false agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and do it to themselves and go further. That's not very nice. And that isn't the Bible, by the way. You can check it for yourself. This angry Paul watching these legalistic power players come in and decimate this good news. I wish those scoundrels would just go emasculate themselves. Why so passionate? Why so angry? Because many of those Gentiles were falling. They said, I'm not doing that. I'm, I, I didn't sign up for that. I didn't know that was what this is all about. I'll just go back to the world that I left because at least I know what that is. I'll just go return to the life that I lived before I knew Jesus. So a man who had learned the hard way that he'd been on the wrong term, the Saul who was called to obliterate Christianity from the face of the earth, became the apostle assigned to take the grace of Jesus to the Gentiles that he despised, 
And he was wildly successful, but not without opposition. And the enemies of grace used the, the law to confuse them. And so he wrote them this angry letter to say, get back on track. Because Jesus is still the Jesus of grace, not the law. Uh, by the way, there are two primary enemies to you living your life in a spirit of grace. They are legalism, legalistic religion, and they are to return to the worldly lifestyle that God took you from. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to read from Galatians 5 and following, 5.13 and following. This would be the springboard for the teachings that we're going to be in for the next few weeks. And uh, here's what it says, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, free from sin, free from the unnecessary religious performance or rituals that you left, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. In other words, being forgiven isn't a license to go on sinning. It's freedom from that. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. This is where we're headed with you in life. Humble, loving of human beings because God is working in your life. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. All those laws that, that other people are trying to impose on you, look, let's just boil it down to this. This is what will work for you. Love. God loves you. Love yourself. And because of that, you love others. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The law and punishment of sin is death. So here's, you know, and by the way, he gives a list then of the things he left, things that will devastate your life if you go back to them. Don't forget this. Don't, don't go back to this stuff. It will it'll destroy your life like it did before. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. In other words, the list isn't exhaustive. You, there, you can read other things in the scriptures that talk about other things too. I warned you, those things and th those that, who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You go back, you're doomed. <laughs> you're on your own, friend. Then he draws them back with a reminder of what God wants to do in their life. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against that stuff. In other words, that's, that's the way we should be living our lives, and that's what he wants to do in us. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. We now are heading this direction. And because there is something you can do to cooperate with God and what he's doing in your life. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. In other words, let's keep up with what God's doing. Let's not fall back. Let's not fall away. Let's keep step with Jesus because you are in a new life now and he needs you to keep up with him. And that's not always easy, but that's what he's calling you to do. You want to thrive? Your life matches up with the grace that God's doing in your life. Live by the Spirit. Walk with Jesus and he'll do this. And then he gives us warning. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. It's the other way. You want to die on the vine? You want all that work that God's been doing in your life to be for naught? Then you just fall back. 
you become legalistic. You become judgmental of others. Or worse, you just say, I'm going to go back to the slop that I left when I was in that pigsty that I was living in. I'll go back into that. Now let me wrap this up with a few reminders. And we're going to be setting this up for the next week too, but I believe that if you'll hang with this series, God's going to start doing incredible things in your life that I can never even, I can't even imagine what they might be for you. But he promises this because he's powerfully working in your life. Here's one thing. My tools cannot be made into your rules. Let me explain that. All of us are going to find ways to walk, to keep in step with God in our lives. And they're going to become tools for our lives that help us. And the Holy Spirit will use that to prevent us from going backwards or to becoming legalistic and hurting other people with our religious foolishness, okay? And let me give you one example. Drinking alcohol. There are Christians who will never touch a drink of alcohol again, or maybe they never have, because they come from families of alcoholics and they know what the ramifications of that are, or they have allowed alcohol to hurt themselves and others, and so they know what it's like to be in that. And that's fantastic. That's a tool God has given you so you can protect yourself and others. And the Holy Spirit uses that. Now, there's some things you have to understand about drinking alcohol in the, in the Bible sense. Number one, it's not prohibited. Okay, so you can't make your rule or your tool, you can't just impose on everybody else. But here's the other thing. The Bible does prohibit drunkenness. And so you also can't use that as freedom because you have the ability to do so to wreck your life and the life of others. It's one of those areas that, and it's like many others, where we tend to want to put rules on other people that really are meant for ourselves because we have freedom, or we want other people to adhere with what we're doing because, well, I'm free. And here's the fact. That's envious. That's jealousy. That's sin. Saving faith is never static it's not acted out in life alone. So here's one more thing, or another thing. We are saved by grace through faith, but we're not alone. We don't live this Christian life in a vacuum. And a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is not just about you. It's about us and how the Holy Spirit has come to change us and how we need to cooperate with each other for that lifestyle change. We trust God to work through us. And so... We're saved by grace through faith, but we're not alone, and we need to trust him with that. If God says, live this way, do this this way, we do it. And by the way, if he asks you to do something and you don't do it, that's sin. Saving faith is never static. It's never acted out alone. As Dad said last week, faith is an action word. Faith walks, faith moves, it acts out belief with others. And, and, and some of you have very strong beliefs and some have very passive beliefs. But here's the thing. If you really believe him, you do what he says. You trust him. You, he says, you do it this way, you do it this way. And by the way, if the scripture says something that you especially don't like that he tells you what to do, I would say play, pay especially close attention to that. Because that's where the Holy Spirit's moving deeper into your life, to say, you need to listen to me. This is important for you. Be especially obedient because I'm asking you to walk with me in this way. Faith says, I will. 
I'll do that. Now, here's one more thing. Do you want to thrive? Don't go back. Salvation is a life. It's not just a decision. And it's not just a belief system. A decision, a belief system says, here's the rule, here's the religious thing I do, and then I go on. But salvation and faith says, no, here's how I can thrive because I'm following him daily. I'm listening to him and trusting him. Saving faith says, now that I believe in Jesus, I need to walk with him. Whereas a belief system says, I don't have to change anything. I just go on the way I was. Saving faith says, I will cooperate with the Spirit to change anything in me that's contrary to his will for my life. And that is why Paul wrote this especially angry letter because he was so hurt and frustrated by those who were now going back to something that was destroying them in the first place. And he said, double curse anyone who adds religion to this relationship that we should have with Jesus. And he says, don't be such a fool to to go back into that swamp that you left. Why would you go back? Why would you fall back into a life that Jesus died to free you from? Keep step with what Jesus wants to do in your life. So that's where we're going in the next few weeks. We're going to learn how thriving works. And I'm telling you this. I don't understand it all, but I know it's true. You can't do it alone. You got to have the Holy Spirit work in your life, and you need the help of others. That's the way God made us. Lord, as we commune today, we come together. It's the table of togetherness, the table of unity. And we agree on one thing, at least one thing, that we can't do this life without you, that we need each other. So, Lord, as we take these emblems, may we remember what it costs for grace, how God paved the way and paid the price, how you paid the price through your son Jesus so that we can be free from whatever it is that will ruin our lives and our eternity. We are grateful, Lord. In his name we pray, amen. You're going to have to sort this out. And you have help, but it still comes back to you. Do you have a belief system? You know, you kind of roll through it and you find some hope in it, you know, because you feel like you're doing the right things and trying your hardest, you know, relying somewhat on other people to fill you up. I mean, it's part of it, right? But there's so much more for you. You say, well, I'm doing the stuff. I'm going to church, reading my Bible even, but I don't feel the life. Saving faith says, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. So transform my life. And I'll obey with you. I'll obey you. I'll, I'll work with you on this because I know it's a lot of work for you. He has, he has his hands full with me, friend. I don't know how you feel about yourself, but he has his hands full with me. I mean, I'm going to pray for you in the next couple months. I'm going to pray for you to take a step towards Jesus wherever you are, because you can't walk with, in step with the Spirit unless you take a step with the Spirit. For some of you, it's going to be making that first step. You're going to submit your life to Him and say, here I am, God, and all my disglory, do something with this. And you're going to be baptized. 
And that, and that time, and that time frame of your experience, he's going to pour into you himself the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to be great for you. And it's going to change things. For some of you, it might be looking back at that negative bad fruit that we talked about in Galatians chapter 5, 19, and 21 and say, man, I've been slipping back into that. I got to get back on track with Jesus. We'll talk more about that next week. For some of you, it might be to look at the list of the fruit of the Spirit again and say, does this really represent by and large what I'm like? Because if not, what do I need to do to cooperate with God? For all of us, let's not go back. Let's not go back to some religion that we found no hope in until we found the real Jesus that's alive. And let's not go back into the slop pen where we were dying on the vine because we didn't trust him. We have each other. More importantly, we have him. Walk with him as we walk with him. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org, call us at 308-384-5038, or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.